A rogue tries to pick a lock. Roll a sleight of hand check, the DM says. The roll is low. So what happens next? Does the DM say, you've failed to pick the lock? Is this a dead end in the game? Well, it doesn't have to be. If a player is rolling the dice, failure must always be an option. But success or failure, the game must go on. We consider the relationship between risk, success, and failure this week on Dungeons & Tangents. Ben sent an article, which I read and Robert did not, because <laughs> Robert didn't get the article. Did I get it and not read it, or did I just no, like, it and not get it? No, you just didn't even get it. Oh, okay, cool. Because we were just leaving you out of the loop. What the hell, Ben? I didn't know. I was. I just shared it with Eric because it was relevant to what we talked about the day before. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know I was supposed right. to share it with you. No, I just thought it would be a good subject. <laughs> and then Robert and I started talking about that stuff. Anyway, so risk. <laughs> but not like the board game. No. No. Like um, what a GM puts their players through in order for the players to have fun yeah. in effect. Um, so this article, which is written by, uh, Rob Donahue, is he the main creator of fate? Uh, he's one of them at least. Okay. He's from evil hat. Yeah. He's one of the founders of evil hat. Anyway, the article he, uh, put out just like, um, like a week ago, uh, he kind of tries to categorize all the different types of risk and how they are mitigated by players' choices. And he breaks them down into cost, harm. I'm just going to go through them quickly, and we'll go through them in depth later. Cost, harm, delay, spillover, which he uses that to represent, like, if you're breaking into something to, like, steal something and you're, you uh, use too much force and you break the thing that you're trying to steal, that's kind of... I think that was how he, he yeah, was... Yeah, well, I mean, so a lot of that is very specific to being helpful in Fate, too, because you yeah. you, you choose the way that you're... The you approach. Approach, yeah. which is basically what, like, your attributes kind of are in the game, so... Yeah. Uh, anyway, so spillover, ineffectiveness, which is, like, the opposite of spillover. Uh, revelation, or revealing information. Confusion, which I didn't really fully understand, but we'll get into that. And waste which is pretty much just a kind of cost, but unintended cost, I guess. I didn't really understand that one either. But anyway, um, so he walks through all of these and how players mitigate them with their approach in Fate, but it's still very applicable to D&D or really any role-playing game because it's all about a player has to take risks in order to succeed or fail and really succeed. Succeeding and failing are kind of the key concepts of this article as well. You take a risk in order to succeed, and if you fail, what happens? And if you succeed, what happens? And he says, well, why aren't there shades of gray in between as well? Why not have a third that's like a partial success? Um, and I guess, well, in Fate... Uh, well, I mean, the whole reason that I even found that article is because we were specifically talking about failing forward the 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 night before when we were playing our session. Yeah. And so I was just kind of 
I was looking at stuff and I came across it on some thread and like Reddit or something. Yeah, on like the RPG subreddit, and uh, it was it was very relevant to. So I was specifically before talking about like Dungeon World. Um, yeah. As far as how dice rolls go, um, and telling you that I think that it would be good for it's good for everybody to read the rules for Dungeon World. So um, why is that? Just because it gives you a good idea of how to fail forward, how to uh, you know give success with, uh, at a cost. Because um, a huge part of Dungeon World, like it's it's pretty simplistic in as far as like you have uh what are essentially your attributes like in D &D, your strength and whatnot um and you just and you get your bonuses for those so you get like a plus two and you always roll uh 2d6 and the (laughs) success is always already determined and as far as uh if you get a 10 you succeed in exactly what it is that you wanted to do as a player. If you get uh, a, I think it's one through six, um, you fail. Okay. Um, And then anywhere in between, uh, you get a partial success. Okay. So seven to nine. Um, And it's possible to get higher than that, of course, because you can roll a 12 and then you have Have bonuses on top of that modifier. But... Um, so like those partial successes are, it's super important to figure out how to make those work. Right. And that, um, so in this article, he talks about his example of success failure. Well, okay. I want to back up because, and explain what happened in our game that I feel like I, as a DM failed at, and that was, uh, Michelle, her character walked up to a door was like can i try to open it i'm like sure you can try i said that as the dm you can try and she pulls out her lock picks and she tries to open the door she rolls a 23 and i say well um you don't open the door but you notice that it has like a magical aura so you think maybe it's magically locked in some way mm-hmm. and none of you are magical casters and none of you have and none of the keys that you have uh work and nobody in effect i have said this is a dead end yeah there is no success here which is kind of like one of the worst things you can do to a player. I've effectively told Michelle, you are ineffective in this situation. You can't do anything here. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily bad to like cut certain avenues off, but I think that the main problem was that you had her role for something that you never intended uh, for us to be able to access at all. Exactly. And it just ultimately ended in nothing. So Right. Which, in that situation, like, Michelle was like, oh, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. But she was a new player. I want to give her the the feeling of success. That's that's a part of, the, of playing a game. And I guess I've always written um, campaigns with little dead ends in them all over the place because I think that makes the world feel more real. Mm-hmm. But by making it feel more real, it's also includes more stuff that's just kind of a waste of time for players. Yeah. Yeah, my I think my argument when you said that was I was like, yeah, but 
like it's less fun <laughs> like right i don't i don't honestly care if it's real or not i only care if it's fun so. right like if i just gotten rid of that you guys would have walked in walked out been done with the session been happy with the session would have like it, it wouldn't have detracted but here's the insane thing i had stuff behind that door and i was just i was i just choked my, my whole deal was i didn't know um i was uncomfortable with the material that i had written behind the door so at the last minute as she rolls i'm like ah no never mind i don't i don't, I don't want you guys to go in that door because i'm just not comfortable with the material behind it this is going to sound like i'm picking on you eric yeah. i don't mean to um please do i, I think that the, the biggest kind of impact there the thing to take away from it is that we talk about risk and all that i i like to think that everybody comes to the table wanting to contribute to the team the party whatever right so as a player or a good player well you're gonna get usually like most people will be one of two kinds of players you'll have somebody who wants to play the game to advance their character like what can they do for me or what can i do for the team what can i do for the, the party right and you'll have, it's usually pretty easy to identify those kinds of players um like you know i want to i want to be in the spotlight at all times or i want to do this at all times mm-hmm. and all that right but a lot of times players are just like i want well not even that i want to be in the spotlight my spotlight is when i get to do something and everybody benefits how do i help out the team and stuff like that right so us getting past that door was that opportunity for that character who was custom built for that one function, <laughs> right. right? To contribute to the team and be like, hey, this is the time where we had an obstacle. I'm the one person who's most qualified to get past the obstacle. Everybody look at me, do my thing, and then we're, we're going to get past it, right? Right. And if we're out in like the woods and we're in a, a magically, you know, hidden cave, there's not going to be a whole lot of locks out there, right? And so, like, out of that whole, like, within a good 10 miles, probably, there was one spot where there was a lock where her abilities could have been used. That was that moment for that character to shine. You know? Right. And so I would say that it's important to recognize that and then facilitate that or don't highlight that moment to a point where, like, because you're going to get that person's hopes up, right? If it yeah. were me, I'd be like, all right. This is this is what I've been training for, you know. Like yeah. from the character's point of view, this is what I want to do. So, the the impact of hitting that wall, especially when you like roll well, like that should be like a really shining moment, right? And, and you don't want to take that away from your player. And I think Ben's point the next day, or however many days later, when we talked about it, was that the the concept of failing forward, like, needs to be in my head. I need to know that when there is a failure, something has to happen that progresses the story or makes something interesting happen. It's it can't just be oh look a dead end. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean in in her case, she essentially succeeded. But uh, I mean even if like because we were talking about uh, characters being specialized and having this niche that they're super good at. But even if somebody fails, it should still be there should still be something that happens. It shouldn't just be right. no. Right. It should be, oh, no, and uh, now the guards are coming, or uh, yes, but there's a trap, and right. it's coming right towards your face. Right. And I said, yes, but, yes, you succeeded at that role, but the success condition is you fail. 
Like, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> imagine like you've got, and I'm, I'm have a bad habit of doing sports analogies when I know nothing about sports, but imagine that you've got your kid and they're playing like, uh, you know, they're in fourth grade and they're playing football, you know, at elementary level and they're like, okay, well, Hey, let's go play some football. And then you bring in a group of NFL players and your kid surprisingly doesn't win. And then, and then the data lesson is, well, hey, you know what? You tried your best. Today, your best wasn't good enough, and you failed. <laughs> <laughs> they may not want to play football tomorrow, right? Like, Yeah. So, um, from a certain point of view, I, like, fr- from the point of view of this article, I didn't even grasp the basic nature of the game, which is that if I have you roll, success should mean something. Uh, but then this article goes on to say, failure should, should mean something too, and it mm-hmm. shouldn't just be a dead end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- the, the example that he gives is that, I think he uses Finn the human as his, his protagonist as an example. So Finn's running down a hallway, guards are chasing him, or guards are aware that he's in the place and he needs to get through a door. He can, um, like... He, he tries to knock it down and if he's uh, and there, there are a certain set of risks involved in him trying to knock it down he could be too loud and reveal his his location to the guards and the guards could show up and and he'd have a fight with them he could uh, not knock the door down fast enough and the guards show up and they mm-hmm. have a confrontation um, or that's, I think that's like, I'm, I'm going to run down his list cost. Well, there's no real cost in opening a door unless the door has like a coin slot well, in order to open it. Well, uh, how are they defining cost there? Resources. So if he had lock picks to try to get into the that's door true. and he broke one off in there he loses that lock pick. That's true. I actually have the perfect example of this. Of resources? Of this, all of it. Okay. Um, I was playing Skyrim, <laughs> which <laughs> okay. I do pretty much every single day, and I'm trying to get my lock picking up on my character, right? Is it, is it, I feel like it's gener- too generous to call it Skyrim at this point for you. It's more like uh, Skyrim. Elder Scrolls Sims? Yeah. Okay. Elder, Elder Scrolls uh, homeowner simulation. <laughs> Ben's referring to the fact that I've got a level 113 character in Skyrim. Jesus. And I've owned, I've got all the houses, I've got all the upgrades, all that, and I've yet to actually start the main quest. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I, I play it how I want. All right, so <laughs> you do you, Robert. But I'm trying to get my lock picking up, and so I've got something like 300 lock picks, right? And every time that you pick a lock, if you if you if the pick breaks, it starts you back over again. Your number of picks goes down by one, but your skill goes up a little bit, right? And so I don't feel like there's a big, like, but nothing bad happens and I lose a lockpick. Okay. And I've got 300 of these things. It's not a big deal. Doesn't sound like there's a lot of risk involved here. Right. So I take a rubber band, I put it on the analog stick on my controller <laughs> and I went and made a sandwich. <laughs> I come back. I've got like three more ranks in lockpicking, right? Not a big deal. Okay. I'll fast forward the next day. My lockpicking is 95. I really want to get up to a hundred. I do the same thing. I come back and all my lockpicks are gone. 
okay, not that big of a deal, right? Okay. I go and I find some more. I so then I've got like five lock picks. I found them on like a, a a dead body that was in the dungeon I was going through, and then I come up on a master lock. Uh-oh. Now. Master locks usually aren't that big of a deal if you've got a bunch of picks because I can go and I can just slowly choose a different position every time until I get the sweet spot and then it opens up and I'm fine. Maybe I spent five, maybe I spent 20 picks. Not a big deal, right? I've got five picks now, right? I wasted them all on trying to get my skill up. Now I'm actually in a dungeon. Didn't think about it. Didn't buy more. Um, and I don't want to leave and come back and all that. I know it's a it's a master lock. There's something good on the other side of this door, and I want oh, it. Okay, all right. So there there is risk involved, or there's incentive. Right. Well, I mean, normally there would point. be risk in that he wouldn't have 300 lock picks. Well, right. That was the day before. We're talking about that day now, yeah. right? So, five. So now cost matters. Exactly. Okay. Right. So now there were risk. Right. I'm not having more. Am I going to use up enough? Like, do I try this? Do I wait? And if I if I come come across a a novice lock lock later i know i can get it because it's super easy to do and i'll have enough picks for it but it won't be as good treasure as it is behind this one right so do i try it do i not try it there's a really good chance i'm not going to be able to get it in five five tries so hmm. what happened the same game it's the same mechanic and some one one i didn't care the other one all of a sudden there was risk involved well now i care about this story because there's risk involved when you were telling me that you're you're picking locks in your own house or whatever just to get your ranks up i'm like oh i don't give a shit you're just wasting time i, I think i actually i didn't do it i just went oh. by and i i figured so i'm gonna save these and go for the next one yeah i guess that's a that's a something that's different about role-playing game tabletop role-playing versus video game is video games are going to be relentless in that you can fail there are there can be lots of dead ends in the game but in role in a role-playing game tabletop as the DM, I need to make it fun, which means, in a way, you can never fail, or you well, can never completely it would be silly, fail. It would be silly to put, uh, in a role-playing game, to put you in a situation like in in Skyrim, where you decide to just wait and come back later. Right. That, that could happen, for sure, but... Yeah, but it, it it feels like the grind of a video game. Yeah. If you start putting dead ends everywhere and you expect your players to like run to the other side of the kingdom in order to get the resource and come all the way back in order to open this one door. These are all fair points, but I can tell you this right now. Okay, first of all, not that it wasn't a relevant example. I but. I chose to to bypass it. Whatever was on the other side of that door, I didn't get. I chose. You know, oh. it's not worth it. I'm gonna leave. Okay. Also, if I had said, you know what, I'm gonna try it. I used three of my five lock picks. I successfully unlocked it, and then I got a message saying, "Sorry, you can't unlock this lock." I'd been pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that your would skill not level is not high it, enough, right? Like, <laughs> I would have been pissed. So, and that's kind of a direct analog of kind of what happened during that game, where somebody succeeded. They did what they were supposed to do. They 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 played all the right you know stuff, and they rolled really well, but they still didn't get what they tried to do. Right? Yeah. So. The right way of doing that sort of situation. I mean, in the right way of doing the thing with Michelle's character picking that lock was she opens the door. If I'm having her roll and she rolls a 23, there is no reason she shouldn't succeed. That's that's just like baseline. That's the way the game works. And and even more so, like if you succeed really well, you could even add, give added bonus. Like you succeed and nobody hears you pick the lock, so right. you can get the jump potentially on whoever's behind mm-hmm. the door. Yeah. I mean, I had things behind the door. She should have been able to... I should have said, 
you open the door and you you make no sounds and you can peer inside and see what's around if you want to Mm -hmm. but so now let's say she failed in some way let's say she rolled a three would that should that be a dead end there now I guess it depends would, on how she tried to approach getting into the uh-huh. <laughs> I I would say that the, the, the three, like, if you roll a three, yeah, there should be a dead end and there should be a consequence. Now, mm. part of, like, the Skyrim thing, I had 300 lockpicks. If I can go get more and come back, it's not a big deal, et cetera. But right. in D&D, a, a thief's kit's like, what, 50 gold, 100 gold? So if your lockpick snaps, there's a consequence right. there. It, yeah. It's a, a lot to get back. But Or a trap goes off. Right. So l- let's say a trap goes off or an alarm is sound sounded. Something needs to happen. Yeah. The cops per- come for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we record in downtown Portland, so we get a lot of sirens and and uh, transits, transit vehicles ringing their bells. Project managers. Project managers coming in and erasing <laughs> their whiteboards, which happened. And if, if you heard a little um, edit earlier, it was because of that. <laughs> Anyway, um, crap, what was I just saying? I don't know, but I had another thought. Oh, okay. It, it, success doesn't need to mean success either. She could have rolled a 23 and not open up the lock, right? It's a magical really? lock, right? So maybe, um, it, I, don't, I don't know that's appropriate that, okay, I'm not a, a caster. I'm a second level rogue. I roll really well. All of a sudden, I can open any lock on the planet, right? That doesn't seem right to me either. Well, I think... I think what what I suggested after the fact was like, oh, but she knows exactly what would open the lock, right? Well, if that's she what had I was the thinking. Like, um, not even that. Like, and I think so. That's a great kind of where I'm going too. If like, okay, well, you rolled really well, kind of like an uh, arcana or a knowledge history or something like that. But because you rolled so well, you're this is what you do. You know somebody who can make a key that will bypass this. Sure. Yeah. Side quest. It, they right. still get to contribute. It's yeah. It can't be. Um, it can't be a dead end. A success can never be a dead end. Otherwise, why are you rolling? Well, and a failure shouldn't be a dead end. Right. And that's that's the thing. I want to I want to drive the the conversation over to the failure side because we've been talking about she succeeded. She succeeded. Well, what if she failed? Should that have been a dead end? I don't think it's. I think Ben and I are just going to disagree on this. I don't think that's like... Cause and I'm the, on Ben's side. You want that thing where it's like, do I want to do it? Do I want to risk it? Like, do, I might want to hesitate a little bit, right? For me, the biggest thing is I should never succeed and then come away feeling like uh, I'm going to want to do this again in the future less. I'm going to be discouraged from trying again in the future. So you're, let, me see if, let me see if I understand. You are saying that if... S- if failure is still success, then success isn't as tantalizing? No, I'm completely just kind of ignoring that piece. And I'm saying, like, if I succeed and I do well, yeah. the result shouldn't discourage me from trying to get in the future. If I succeed, it's like, ah, suck it up. It's not going to happen. It's like, okay, well, what's the point next time? Like, I'm... Oh, you're still you're still on the... I'm the on, if exactly, success exactly, is failure. Right. No, no, That's no, no. the biggest piece for me. Uh, well... Okay, but but I want to drive the the conversation elsewhere to failure. If okay. she let's just completely erase the fact that she rolled a twenty three. She rolls a three. Mm-hmm. Well, 
so she, a natural three, and then with her modifier, it would be like a ten or something because her she's a rogue. And a ten is well below whatever the difficulty check is for that lock. Okay. Like let's say it's it's a seventeen is a difficulty right. check. She rolls a ten, and I'm like, you failed. Like it's still a dead end. Well, okay, so it doesn't need to be a dead end, but there, I think there needs to be a consequence. What right. You, what you need to avoid is the concept of, oh, I'll just try over and over and over again because yeah. there's no reason for me not to. Well, right. that, that's why when I, when, as soon as he said that, I said, well, it depends on the approach you used. So, like, say that you tried to pick the lock, you got, a, by doing it, like, sneakily or whatever your approach was, mm-hmm. you tried to use a lockpick, it got jammed in the door now you can't try to use a lockpick again because it's stuck in the door right so now you have to find another approach you could try to use brute strength and just bust the door down right um but then you risk yeah alerting somebody to your presence yeah you risk uh, alerting somebody to your presence hurting yourself because you did you failed to knock down the door and you just like you get harmed and um the, There's some sort of consequence. The real kind of one of the problems with that situation was there was no risk involved in lo- uh, trying to pick that lock. There was nothing pushing her to pick the lock. It was just curiosity alone. It wasn't like if she didn't do it fast enough or sneaky enough. Well, if she didn't do it sneaky enough, maybe the thing on the other side finds out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's about the only risk that was involved there. Am I wrong? Or I guess there's the risk of harm if there's a trap. That that may have been the only risk involved, but that doesn't mean that's the only risk that she thought was involved. She doesn't know that if she rolls poorly that her lock is not going to snap, that a trap won't go off, that she's going to make a noise, like a click, and the person on the other side is going to come investigate. But she doesn't know that because she's a new player, if she was an experienced player. No, she doesn't know that because she's not a DM. She doesn't know what you have in store. That's true. I would never say that you should lay out like a like reading one page forward in a choosing adventure book. You should know what all the consequences are. (laughs) You might you might hint at what some of the consequences are and let somebody's imagination take it over. But they should never have a map of okay, here's a decision tree and what's going to happen. You know, it's funny. The author of this article actually says, "What if you did that? If somebody wants to try that, go for it." And, and tell me what you if, learned. What, somebody had a decision tree here? Not, not really a decision tree, but, but pretty much lays out, here are the risks oh. that are involved in your decision right now, your oh. role. See, I, uh, I'm a big fan of not pre-planning and just hmm. doing stuff on the fly. Ditto. Because it could be that like things change during play, too. It yeah. could be that the consequences you have written before are no longer the most relevant consequence you could give somebody. So... I don't think that planning it out, writing it down is a good idea. I think everybody's different. You might get some different reactions to that. I would immediately lose interest in that game. If, if you had all the risks yep. just presented to you before every roll. Not even the risks, like the, all the possibilities, risks and rewards. Like At that point, I feel like there's it's no longer a dynamic uh, experience that's going to adjust to what happens on the fly. I would feel like it's all predetermined. And we've talked about this before. Every single game I play... PC otherwise, where I, feel, I start to feel the edges of what's possible, I'm done. I just don't want to play anymore. In a way, though, as a DM, I am explaining the risks to you before every roll. Now? Yeah. How? Uh, well, let, let me see. Uh, so I played, I played a, a one-on-one game with Michelle last weekend. 
um, to get her kind of more comfortable with all the mechanics. And um, her first encounter is she sees a goblin by uh, a cave entry, and she's been told this is where the hideout is. So she sneaks up to it. She already knows there is risk because I've told her there is a goblin there. Inherently, she knows, she intuits that a goblin is a risky, potentially harmful creature. So she doesn't want to alert it to her Mm -hmm. uh, presence. She doesn't want to be harmed by it. Um, She doesn't want to have a confrontation with it. So she sneaks around and then like peeks her head out from behind some bushes, hits it with a sneak attack and kills it dead like in one shot. So her approach was sneak and then massive force, like as much force as possible right up front. But I have explained all of the risk to her before all of that by just telling her there's a goblin next to the obvious entry to the hideout. She doesn't want to alert. Anyway, she, so she knows, she knows the I risk. I strongly disagree. You didn't explain you don't, anything. You explained the circumstance. Yes. You did not explain the consequence. Explaining the circumstance, it may not be explicitly saying the risks involved are you could get harmed by this goblin. Well, you're saying that's what you're planning on doing or that's what one of the officers did explicitely say. I suppose. Right? Oh, you're right. Let, I mean, sometimes it can be inferred and sometimes it can't. It depends that's on the true. situation. If you, if you ever have the option of letting me use my imagination or not letting me use my imagination, <laughs> you should, I would say you should never choose to not let me use my imagination. It's because your imagination is going to come up with all of the scariest things in the world. It's less work for you. It's more immersive for me, right? More immer- oh, more immersive. Immersive, okay. yeah. Like, um, it's also more terrifying well, for you. And yeah, <laughs> that might be my imagination specifically, but and with games like Dungeon World and Fate, it's also more of a cooperative experience too. So mm-hmm. even if the DM on the fly can't think up something that would be a good consequence, you can say like, oh, well, what do you think is fair? A fair consequence that mm-hmm. you could take for doing this, and so that kind of that kind of requires some give and take by the players and the DM. Uh, so Dungeon World, are DMs a little more explicit about here are the risks involved and here's the consequences or potential consequences? I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that kind of depends on who's DMing the game. No, but, that's fair. Um, I mean, in Fate, at least, it's usually more explicit in as far as what the consequences are. Hmm. But I don't know. I didn't really... I didn't really play it that way when I DM'd it. <laughs> so part of that might have been because I'm still stuck in the mindset of... Because I started with 3.5, so... So you said that that article had somebody who presented that. What if you did do that? Yeah. Yeah, what if you were really upfront with the players? Did they ever say what their preference was? Uh, well, no. He it's, it's kind of a theoretical article. It's like, let's talk about the theory of risk and approaches, how you approach those risks. And... Um, he's, he's, he's very like, this is how, you know, we all generally just explain the situation and allow people to infer the cons- the risks and the potential consequences. Um, but what if you were more explicit about it? I don't know. Okay. And, and he says, I've never done this, so I can't comment on it. But if somebody wants to do this, let me know. Let me ask you this. Sure. Something that we can kind of applied to a real world present day example because everything is kind of a fantasy setting you know we can't necessarily really know how we'd react because it's D&D right uh, you're out on a date okay okay 
things are going well, so you think, right? You only know your thought process. You don't know the other individual's thought process, okay? Um, the, you know, things are coming to a close at the end of the night, regardless of which date it is or all that. Would you behave differently if you knew exactly what would happen given all the different things that you could possibly do? Mm. Instead of that kind of that fog of not knowing how things will go. Did you, you know, m- maybe they were checking their phone all night. And that, they, you know, like, yeah. do you see what I'm saying? Like, you don't feel like knowing how everything could possibly happen wouldn't take away no, or that, that does. dilute that or make things less exciting like, of knowing, like, do they like me? Do they not like me? Are they going to call me tomorrow? You know, like. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, part of that is assuming you know all of the consequences for every choice you're going to make whereas this would be more of a as soon as you encounter the situation you only know what's going to happen for that situation well that's what i'm saying well, like let's say let's say you go to uh let's say it's a i don't know, it doesn't matter what number of date we'll, we'll go with this date analogy and you go to try to give her a kiss mm-hmm. assuming you're a guy and you're into girls and she I mean, don't most people kiss regardless of well, yeah, but I'm <laughs> using pronouns. those pronouns. <laughs> um, so uh, you go to kiss her, and if you know, I'm saying that you know what the risk is. You risk her uh, rejecting you or revealing to you that she's not interested in you that way. Right? Right. I think that's... Okay, so maybe this is, again, the way that I'm kind of put together mentally. Like, I... I'm not saying... I don't see... Like, when Savannah and I got together, okay? Yeah. Using a real example. Savannah and I got together, we we went on multiple dates before we ever kissed. Just, like, multiple dates, you know, because of of that... Lynn and I went on two. Okay. (laughs) Of, like, not because we didn't want to, because, like, oh, I don't know, are they into me? Right. Is she into me? Is he into me? Et cetera, right? Um... But for my thought process, what I'm saying there, I don't know, is, is she into me? You know, is that, is that okay for me to give her a kiss? It's not like, okay, well, she's into me and it will go well. Or she's not into me and it's like, oh, well, no, you know, let's I'm not, let's just be friends, etc. It's, okay, well, it'll go great. Or it might not go great. Or, you know, she might be like, oh, no, I'm into you. Or she might laugh at me and damage me psychologically forever. Like, <laughs> you know, um, just making it cut and dry like that takes all of that kind of... That, that interesting, well, like, unknown out of it. You're saying knowing what every roll of the die will result in. I think it, it just takes some out of it, right? Okay. I, I can see that because it, it makes it more like a board game at that point. It, it makes, makes it, it more like... Math. Yeah. Like, I'm going to roll the dice on, I don't know, Monopoly, Yahtzee. I know what every die roll in Monopoly is going to get me. It's either going to get me on that spot or that spot or that spot. I'd really like it to get me on, you know, this spot that's still open and I want to buy it. If it doesn't, oh, well, there's, there's risk there. Mm -hmm. And there's, uh, very known consequences and you can know what every die roll is going to get you and what your chances are of all of those. But you're saying not knowing 
it's not that you're not not knowing the risk it's you're not knowing your chances of success and you're not knowing your uh explicit consequences so it's like rolling a die in uh in monopoly blind and having somebody move your piece for you you know what you want and you're you're hoping that you roll a six because you want that one spot but if you roll like a, a five you're going to end up on community chest yeah. and have to pay for the i don't know the beauty show or whatever and, and, and it's like <laughs> if you know like let's just say that you you, you bucket your the die result rolls like one to five six to ten eleven to fifteen sixteen to twenty right sure and then here's like even if it's just the, the flavors of bad or the flavors of awesome that will happen depending on in which bucket you roll into right at that point i'm not thinking of like oh this is gonna happen that's gonna happen i'm thinking okay i've got 25 percent chance of this happening 25 the second I use the word percentage chance or the words percentage chance in D and D I am pulling myself out of that experience and I'm playing a board game. Uh, that's fair. And, and that, but that's the way you think. I know that Nick thinks like he, he sees the die and he rolls the die and he sees, I've got a plus five modifier. That means my percentage chance is increased by X amount. And he rolls that die. And that's just the way Nick thinks about gameplay. Okay. Well, Doesn't the, he? I think that, like I said, I think it's different for different people. For yeah. me, that's a that is an experience that's damaging to my immersion in our our session at that so point. You you want that like fog of war. You want I do the DM to be kind of like um, the holder of knowledge and holding things back from the players. I want that that fog of war when it comes to possibilities, not when it comes to context. So no, I don't yeah. want to like not know what my abilities are. Or, oh no 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 right. But I I want to have some. So I, want, I do want when there's knows. risk involved you don't want it to be an open book and I'm just showing you here's a chart try to roll high and, and yeah. here's the number you want to get and then it just becomes can I get that number or not I never want to see a chart okay ever no that makes sense but so what I'm what I've taken away from this article and this conversation is that it's still good to play D&D the way I've been doing it like I, I generally hide uh, the consequences from everyone, um, but I haven't been good about making sure that there's a success condition, a fail condition, and potentially a partial success condition. And the whole concept of failing forward that Michelle opening, uh, if she had rolled a three, and this is I mean, I keep talking about a success when talking about failing forward, but if it had been a failure, it should have still progressed things. Mm-hmm. Right. If or, that door... Or created new opportunities. Yeah, yeah. To progress in a different way. Right. And, and I failed doubly in that situation. I failed to uh, understand that if I put a door and there's a check, something should happen. Um, as well as if she had failed, I would have just said, oh, you, you failed to open the door. I'm sorry. Goodbye. No, I'm not opposed to the idea of like the buckets of like one to five, six to 10. Right. And be like, uh, for partials, uh, I'm just like, well, I'm just like great partial success, uh, neutral or, or bad or like, but then when it happens, then you on the fly, figure out like what that means. Right. Because then that lets you, um, improvise. If, If you had to actually come up with like a, a, 
a two-sentence uh, result for every die roll, we would never get anything done. You, you, well, you haven't seen my, my prep notes. Sometimes I do that. Well, I'm, I'm, it, <laughs> even if you do, you've said before, like, yeah, I've got, you know, 20 pages of, of prep, and I got half page in, and you guys went completely off the rails. Well, that's true. That's going to happen. At that point, how would you account for those rolls? I, I can't. I have to improvise. You have to you have to grind to a stop because you don't have your, your well, pre-done two sentences for each roll, right? Yeah. But if you just if you're able to come up with that on the fly, I yeah. think it helps grow. And I would you. say that doing all that prep work and being cognizant that success, failure, and partial success are all options, it it means that when the uh, when I have to improvise. I have that tool set in my head. I know that success, failure, and, and partial success are things that happen, and I should probably come up with, when she rolls a, a 10, that should lead to something, and it should be meaningful that a 10 led to that, and a 23 leads, leads to something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I would agree. Okay. Now that we're in agreement, we should probably stop talking. Okay. <laughs> I'll stop talking. <laughs> All right. Anyway, good uh, good discussion. We may we may have more to talk about here. Perhaps. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Ben. Thanks, Eric. Mm-hmm. All right. Next week, we discuss Session Zero, a pregame session where DMs and players can come together to discuss expectations and plan for their upcoming campaign. As always, if you have comments or suggestions, reach out to us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent. Or go to our website, dungeonsandtangents.net. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.
A rogue tries to pick a lock. Roll a sleight of hand check, the DM says. The roll is low. So what happens next? Does the DM say, you failed to pick the lock? Is this a dead end in the game? Well, it doesn't have to be. If a player rolls the dice, failure must always be an option. But success or failure, the game must go on. We consider the relationship between risk, success, and failures this week on Dungeons & Tangents.